0: Chapter 19 It often happens that the sex of the soul does not at all correspond with that of the body, and this is a contradiction which cannot fail to produce great disorder. Théophile Gautier, Mademoiselle de Mapin 1836 After everything I've done for you, Babette cries with fury. Her voice bellows from upstairs. It's mid-evening in December, and I stand before the kitchen sink, scrubbing a fry pan. As I hang it to dry, more shouts break out, but no more individual words come through. I shudder, but not from chill. After several minutes, a door slams. Soon, Naomi quietly pads downstairs. She stands in the entryway, face dour. Screwdriver? She asks. Sure. She removes a bottle of vodka from the liquor cabinet and pours two highballs. I rinse grease from my hands, wipe them off, and we sit down at the small table. Is Babette okay? I've never heard her shout like that. Oh, she's gone to bed with a headache. Strong alcohol dilates my nostrils before I even fully raise the glass. Wish you two got along better. Naomi grimaces. It's the same old thing. I knew she wouldn't change. If I make occasional plans for an evening with friends, Bobby acts like she's being abandoned on a desert island. That's no good. So enjoy your independence while it lasts. I think our relationship is different. I've always been careful keeping things balanced between us. Naomi cradles her cheek in one palm, then stares darkly across at me. I hope you can. God, that woman. She runs clawed fingers through her fine red hair, then takes a deep gulp of the highball. Between Bobby running my life like one of her model railroads and you forever mooning over that girl of yours, it's amazing I haven't gone completely insane here. Tattooed sailors on the wallpaper behind her continue sailing their whimsical ships around the kitchen. I take a deep breath. So, do you believe the whole kidnapping story? Naomi tosses her head. Sometimes I don't know what I believe. Our friend definitely has a bizarre past. But it may not be the one she leads us to imagine. You're the historian in training. How do you verify a kidnapping from the 1920s? I'd probably dig through newspaper archives in Yakima. French nurse felon at large. That's a regional story, at least. Maybe papers here in Seattle reported something back then. It's quite a puzzle. Never expected I'd be involved in a story this unusual. Naomi chuckles. (laughs) Well, we're probably both in over our heads. I nod, then lean forward. There's so much I'm curious about. When you lived here before, was her husband Albert still alive? It must have been recent, since his name is on all the bills, but she rarely mentions him. Naomi nearly chokes on her drink. She blinks hard, then pauses as though deliberating. Ross, I... well, I guess I'll just say it. Her breath intakes sharply. Bobby is Albert. She transitioned in 1994. Dark patterns on the red formica tabletop swim before my vision. I flail for a response, but no words come. Naomi fixates on me, bemused. You had no idea? Well, sure, first in class, we all wondered. But after everything, I mean, she runs around naked all the time. Naomi brings a hand up to her forehead. Oh please, Ross, you've seen her without a wig. Ladies don't go bald that way. Plus, Jesus, come on, no woman her age has tits that perky. At this I sit up straight. Well, old ladies never flash me, so I wouldn't know. Anyway, there are pictures from back in the day, too. Why that one in the living room? She must be 30 or so. Yeah, exactly. Well, the surgery is recent. Albert lived as a woman most of his life in private. Seriously, Ross, how could you not notice? Nothing she does is remotely feminine. Look at her eat, like a construction worker. Her legs. Does she ever cross them? No. But why didn't she say anything? We're friends. I've lived here for over half a year now. Well, it's not like she owes anyone some explanation, but she told me she's afraid you might move out. You must understand, Bobby didn't come from a time when people accepted such things. My pulse still races in confusion. I can't believe Babette would think I'd leave her for that. Seriously, Ross, who knows why that woman does anything? I adore her, and it's clear you do as well, but she very much looks out for her own interests, despite being so generous with us. I laugh. Oh, God, she really did murder Albert. Naomi raises an eyebrow. Now almost hysterical, I pound a fist on the table no really i asked her some time ago because of the mail babette said people suspected she killed him now naomi joins me with cackles yeah well she did right bobby must have loved passing that one off on you a last swallow of the highball sizzles down my throat I've got early class tomorrow and should be in bed. Really, though, I'm glad you told me. I won't say anything, but if Babette mentions this, please assure her I don't care who she used to be. Good night, then, Naomi says. Good night. I head downstairs, undress, and lie down on my small bed in darkness, but disorientation floods every thought. My professor laughs, stabbing a long kitchen knife into her mirrored reflection again and again. A train whistle blares, steel wheels clattering out of control down the tracks, carrying her bloody victim off toward oblivion. Confused images swirl until at last they fuse together and disappear in sleep. The next day, after academic writing class, Dora meets me for a few minutes outside the library. Two military recruiters are setting up a table near the entrance, and several student activists circulate nearby. I just found out the most unexpected thing, I tell her. Babette! She's trans. I had no idea. Dora shoots me a sidelong glance. It makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? I guess I'm the last to know. Go figure me on the inside and all. So, do you think you'll have a little time for me this week? I reach my arm around her waist. She draws close and plants delicate lips against my cheek. I don't know. In all honesty, probably not. I've got school and work, plus my lease is up at the end of the month. I'm moving into an actual house with a friend. Also, my mother's having troubles, and I gotta be a good daughter right now. It's all so much at once. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. I murmur. So you're moving? Can I help? Clearly, my gender intuition needs work, but I can lift heavy things and massage sore muscles if needed. No, it's... She looks away and draws back slightly. I drop my hand from her hip. Look, do you really want this with me? It's one thing having a busy life. I get it, but you've flaked out on me so many times. I haven't spent a night at your place in weeks. We grab 15 minutes after class, like this or nothing. I just need to know what's, well, what we're doing. You know I, that I've fallen in love with you. At this, Dora looks away, gaze distant. One student now loudly debates the recruiters, and a small crowd is gathering. She allows a thin smile, then meets my eyes. Ross, I do want this. You just need patience. But now I have another class. Talk to you soon, okay? Dora offers up a brief kiss, and exits the building, her slender form moving further and further away. I sigh, and join the tumult as several activists recognize me and beckon. But time with Dora doesn't come easily. After winter break, our schedules diverge even further. We make plans, and she frequently breaks them at the last minute. I dial her number evening after evening, to no avail. Babette and Naomi observe my anxious state, their words of advice and concern scarcely penetrating the gloom cloaking me. Finally, weeks later on a Friday in mid-January, Dora answers her phone. We need a solution, I say immediately. This just doesn't work. Her voice rings sadly. I know. Can we get together soon? Sometime definite. Yes. How about tomorrow afternoon downtown, on the Big Stone Staircase at 4th and Washington? About 2 p.m., say? I'll be there. But I'm afraid you won't. Ross, there's no way I can express how sorry I am. But I'll come this time. I promise. I hang up, nerves strangely calm at last. The next day I catch a bus to our meeting spot and recline on the marble steps under a light drizzle. Tiny specks of water dust E.O. James's The Cult of the Mother Goddess and I turn pages half-heartedly, eyes raised every couple paragraphs. At last Dora scurries across the street and sits beside me. A raised hood obscures her face. She says nothing but draws the hood back. Soft features crumple into tears. This is hard. I should have told you before, but things have been crazy. Okay, so I got drunk and fucked my roommate last month. That's it. I'm so sorry, Ross. I should have said something before now. I just didn't know how. At this I laugh, but my mouth only emits a dull croak. I squint and look at her directly. Crystalline drops form and drip off her chin. I still want to see you, she says. My voice comes low and hoarse. I don't think that's a good idea. I stand and walk away. Not once do I turn or slow my pace. Soon the number 19 bus chugs me homeward. Silhouettes step on and off, moving through an icy mist. Chatter surrounds me in languages that scarcely seem human. I press play on a Sisters of Mercy cassette in my Walkman as headphones ward off babbling nonsense from the other passengers' alien mouths. My numb, cheek presses against the window as unchecked tears flow, mirroring raindrops on the cold glass outside.